right. Well, uh, hey, good morning, Transit. How are we? We good? Awesome. Hey, my name is uh, Nick. I'm the pastoral intern here at the Transit. And uh, before I begin the sermon this morning, I was asked to give kind of a quick bio for those of you who don't know me yet since I kind of just started in October. So the first thing you need to know about me is I am married to my amazing wife, Jen Mudrizo. Uh We've been married now for almost five years, so we're, we're kind of veterans, uh, if you will. Um, got that thing down. Uh, we recently celebrated uh, uh, the birth of our eight-month-old daughter, Kelsey. She is a little bundle of joy. We love her so much. Um, she's awesome and has more hair than her dad, which is uh, amazing as well. Um, I've been doing uh, ministry with youth and young adults for the last 12 years. I'm also a seminary student at Reformed Theological Seminary with this guy, Jeff. Some of you uh, might know him, kind of cool guy. Uh, my first impression of Jeff Toomer, the head guy here, uh, we had a class together about three years ago, and Jeff tends to sit in, in the front of the classroom because he's a good student, and I tend to sit in the back because I'm a multitasker. And, um, and so my first impression uh, of Jeff uh, as, as we, that class you know, proceeded throughout the semester, I was just like, man, this guy's a boss. This guy's the man. And I thought to myself uh, in class, I was just like, how cool would it be to get to serve alongside someone of his caliber uh, one day? And so it's cool how a couple years later, the Lord kind of brought that thought to fruition. So I'm really thankful to, uh, to be here. A couple fun facts about me. I grew up playing ice hockey. My last name is Mudrizo, so staying true to my Russian roots. I uh, love ice hockey, love watching ice hockey, talking about ice hockey. So if you're into that, come talk to me about it. Um, I'm also a huge nerd, so I love to read books. And I'm addicted to coffee. So nine times out of nine, you'll find a cup of coffee in my hand. I see some of you uh, chugging some coffee as well. So amen to that. All right, enough about me. Uh, This morning marks the beginning of our series on Advent entitled Hope, uh, I believe it's, yeah, the hope of Christmas, the hope of Christmas. And uh, this uh, series is all about, for the next four weeks, it's all about looking at specific people in the scriptures and their response to the coming of Christmas. Jesus. And so this morning we're looking at Simeon, uh, a man who waited. Uh, the, the title of my sermon this morning is Hope for Waiters, and not waiters like at Outback, but like, like people who, who wait. And uh, we're going to be looking at his story. He was given a future promise by God that affected his present attitudes and actions. Well, like I said in my mini bio, uh, a couple summers ago, I had kind of a surreal moment in my life, and I'm sure some of you have shared a similar experience, where I woke up, it was just a, a normal, regular day, and I ran into my wife, who had this kind of like surreal look on her face, and I looked in her hands, and what she was holding was a pregnancy test. And on that test was an equal sign, which essentially meant, Nick, in nine months, your life equals over. Um, <laughs> And uh, just kidding, no, just kidding. And so in that moment when I realized that we were, uh, we were given a promise there, that in nine months we're going to have a child, it was, I mean, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. Jen and I, uh, uh, one of us just started crying, I won't name who, um, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. But we were given a promise that in nine months, in nine months, you were going to be blessed with a child. And so what did we do that nine months? We got busy. We got to work, right? We took that promise to the bank, and we're like, we better, we better be ready for when that season comes. So what happened was uh, I saw my apartment or our basement apartment transform before my very eyes. All of a sudden, my office, which was once a hub of theological study and, and philosophical uh, thought, was now uh, 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 outcast into the living room. 
And all of a sudden, what was once my office was now covered in pink bunnies and cribs and swings and all that stuff. Uh, over the course of that nine months, Jen and I started reading the classic books to prepare you for uh, pregnancy and whatnot. I, I started reading uh, What to Expect When Your Wife is Expanding. Um, that was, that was life-changing, to say the least. Um, and, uh, and lastly, uh, we were so hyped, we were so uh, uh, excited for this future promise that we told everyone we knew about it, right? Like, oh, we got to announce it on Facebook in like a trendy way. It's got to be cool, you know, exciting. And then everyone we tell, they have to buy us stuff, right? <laughs> and so we had diapers to the ceiling. Everyone was excited about it. And, and, and over the course of those nine months, nothing really changed. The thing that changed is that we were given a promise, that we took in faith that this was true, that, that our waiting wasn't going to be in vain. And so the reason I share that is I would say, Man, a lot of us here today are in a similar season of, of waiting, of expectation, of anticipation. For some of us, that's, I mean, we're looking forward to Christmas break. I just talked to some people that they're, they're gone for two weeks. That is so, such a blessing over the holidays to have vacation. So that changes your attitude at work. You're like, okay, just two more weeks, baby, and I'm there, right? And maybe some of you are expecting the birth of uh, a child, or maybe some of you are expecting your children to get out of your house. Maybe that's, you know, what you're expecting. But uh, for some of us, our waiting might be a little bit different. Our waiting might look like this. Uh, Lord, when, when is this health crisis in my life going to be over? When, when, is, when is this health crisis for someone I love going to come to an end? God, how long? How long, oh Lord? And for some of us, uh, our waiting might, might look like this. Lord, Lord my marriage is, is, is a mess right now. I, I, there's this conflict with this person I love. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse or someone I love. When is this reconciliation going to come about? Is it going to come about? God, where are you in this and how long do I have to wait? And so for some of us, we're in that season of waiting as well. But the big idea, what I'm getting at this morning is this, is that Christian, your waiting is not in vain. Your, your waiting is not in vain. Any waiting, any trial, any season of suffering that we experience here is all going to be worth it in the end. And there's a myriad of reasons that our waiting is not in vain, but I would say the key issue in our waiting is whether or not in that moment are we going to rely on and trust in God. Are we going to rely on and trust in the character and the promises of God? So today we're looking at that idea through the story of Simeon. So we do things a little bit uh, differently here. If you're a first-time guest here at the transit, we read the passage together. So y'all are going to help me read Luke uh, 2, 25 through 35. If this is maybe your first time in church, uh, it's a judgment-free zone. So if you don't feel comfortable reading, uh, no pressure at all. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be on the screen. We're in Luke 2, 25 through 35. Here we go. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for, to your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for the sending of your son Christ on our behalf. Uh, Father, uh, uh, we pray that you would show up big today. Father, Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts, prepare our hearts and our minds for for what you have in store for us. And and I pray that you would comfort those who are in a season of waiting here today, Father. And ultimately, we pray that, that you would increase, Father. And up here, I pray that I would decrease. And pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, the first thing we're going to look at here is who, who was this guy Simeon in Luke 2? And the first thing that, that we're told here is that Simeon, the way, the way Luke, the author of this gospel, describes him is that he says, Simeon was a man who is both righteous and devout. And see, what that word righteous signifies is that Simeon was a guy who had a vertical relationship with God. He loved God. His identity was wrapped up in knowing the love of God, and that correlated for Simeon into a horizontal love for other people. He was a righteous man, loved God, and loved others. And what's interesting is Luke doesn't stop there. He says he was devout, that Simeon here was a pious Jew who took very seriously the, the laws in his scriptures. He, he obeyed the law of Moses. And, and what stuck out to me as I was studying this is, is Luke doesn't describe Simeon here just as someone who was devout. Because in that time in Israel, there were a whole lot of people who were devout, a whole lot of people who obeyed every jot and tittle of the law of Moses, but they were completely devoid of any love for God and any love for for other people. And so it's not just enough to be devout in one's faith. We see here is that Simeon was a guy who was the real deal. Simeon both loved God and he took his faith seriously and he obeyed God's word. One commentator uh, describes Simeon this way. He was an ordinary man of extraordinary devotion to the Lord. I would love to be described that way. Just an ordinary guy, but has an extraordinary passion for the Lord and a love for his law and a love for others. And uh, he strikes me as a guy. There's this guy, my, my former church, this guy, Gene Heck. Some of you know him. He's kind of an older saint. He had a, a gray beard. And, and Gene Heck was, was one of those guys when he shook your hand and said, hey, how are you doing? You know, he meant it. He would like pray for you on the spot and like give you theological lectures, but in love and, and everything. And, and the story goes that he, he was really, I mean, this man could build anything. And, and, and the story goes that, you know, if he would hit his thumb with a hammer, if he missed or whatever, he, instead of cursing God, he, he would thank God. He'd say, God, thank you for the pain. Thank you for what you're teaching me in this. And so Simeon kind of strikes me as, as that guy, a guy you just look at, maybe, maybe an older saint who just loves the Lord and is, and is serious about his law. And then the next uh, way Luke describes Simeon here is he says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and what the consolation of Israel, it was this Jewish hope of the coming of the Messiah, the hope that God would come to rescue and to comfort his people from their warfare, their oppressions, and their iniquities. And, and the reason there was this hope throughout Israel, this coming Messiah, this coming comforter, uh, was because throughout their scriptures, the prophets of Israel foretold 
of his coming. There are a myriad of messianic prophecies that were written before the time of Christ that are fulfilled in the, the work and the ministry of Jesus. And so I'm going to highlight one, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Um, the reason uh, this passage um, is, uh, sticks out to, to me in, in relation to the consolation of Israel is that Jesus uh, we'll see, credits this to himself as he reads it in Nazareth. But yeah, let's read this first. This foretells the coming comforter of Israel. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort, you see that console, that comfort, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what the ministry of this consolation, this coming comforter of Israel was going to look like. And what we see in Luke 4, uh, a couple chapters after the passage we're in now, is Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth, and he stands up, he rolls out the, the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah 61, he reads the passage to all the Jews in the synagogue, the passage we just read, and he says this, he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled and you're hearing of it. And then he drops the mic and walks away. Um, and what, and what, Christ, what Jesus was saying there is, is, hey, I got news for you, Israel. The wait's over. You're waiting for the consolation of Israel. I got news for you. You're looking at the consolation of Israel. I'm the coming Messiah. I'm the Lord Christ. I'm who you're anticipating, you're expecting, you're waiting for. The wait's over. The promise has been fulfilled. And you want to know how the people of Nazareth responded to that? They grabbed Jesus and tried to throw him off a cliff. That's what they did. That's how big of a deal this was. That's how, that's how radical, radical it was for Jesus to claim that about himself. That's how his hometown responded to him saying, I'm the consolation of Israel. So that's uh, just like most in Israel, Simeon was awaiting that day awaiting that day where, where the Lord would comfort his people, pardon their iniquities, and, and break them from, from their oppression um, of sin. And, and lastly, we see that uh, Simeon is described here, uh, Luke describes Simeon in this way, saying that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. So Simeon was blessed having received a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit in life. He was singled out by God to be uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. And not only did he have kind of this, this special endowment of God's Spirit upon him, but what we see in this passage is that God had given him, excuse me, a very special revelation. And look at verse 26, if you have your Bibles or if it's up on the screen. Uh, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we need to stop right there. Sometimes when we read scripture, we can kind of just gloss over certain passages and not really uh, uh, sit under the weight of what just went down. And so we're not exactly sure how this went down, but what we see is that Simeon was given a revelation from God that in his lifetime, before he saw death, he would be one of the first to witness what all of Israel was waiting for. He would have front row tickets to uh, seeing the consolation of Israel right before his eyes. And so, again, we're not told kind of how that went about, but if, if Simeon was kind of like us, maybe one day he was spending time with the Lord at, let's say, Starbucks. You know, maybe they had Starbucks back then. Not sure. Just kidding. Of course they didn't. But uh, 
You know, maybe he's sitting there like a good Christian. He's got his pumpkin spice latte. He's in Starbucks. He's journaling. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, God's like, yo, I got news for you, brother. I got, I got, I got, I got a word for you. I got a revelation. It's going to change your life. It's a future promise. You better believe it's going to start changing the way you look at your present circumstances. And so if Simeon was like me, I would have, uh, given that revelation, I would have gone, I would, I, would have been, I would have been amped up. And I would have told everyone about it. I would have been exciting. You know, on my way to and from work, I would have been looking at, are you the consolation of Israel? Like, you know, what's going on in the temple? He, his eyes would have been scanning. And those days would turn to weeks. But I think the excitement would still be there. But as those weeks turned into months, and as those months turned into years, and I would say as those years of waiting turned into many years of waiting, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think Simeon might have began to wrestle with some doubts. I think that's I think that's a fair fair assessment. I think it'd be fair to say, you know what? Maybe 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 as Simeon was waiting for multiple years for this promise to be fulfilled, maybe he started asking questions like this: Hey, did I miss the consolation of Israel? Like, was God's promise contingent upon me? Did I blow? Was it because of my failures, my weaknesses, my sins that maybe the Lord passed me by? You know, maybe that promise isn't going to come to fruition because I blew it. Uh, next, you know, maybe he asked this question. You know what? Did God really even did God really even promise me that? Did God really say? And he begins to doubt the promise that was given to him. He said, I had a lot of caffeine that morning. You know, maybe I heard some voices. I don't know. Uh, uh, who knows? You know, or maybe he began to ask this question. Maybe it wasn't he was doubting the promise of God, but maybe he was doubting this. You know what? Will God stay true to his word? Can I trust God? Is God trustworthy? Is he going to stay true to the word, to the promise that he had given me? Because there's a lot at stake here, right? And then lastly, I think Simeon might have had a dark night of the soul or maybe a couple dark nights of the soul. And as he's been waiting and he hasn't seen God show up, and maybe he wrestles with this. You know what? Hey, is this even true at all? Did we just make this up? Does God exist? Can I trust him and his promises? And you know what? If this isn't true, then maybe not just my waiting is in vain, but maybe my whole life is in vain. Because I got news for your friends. If God doesn't exist, where in the world do you come up with meaning for your life? This is just nature's cruel joke on you if God doesn't exist. Nature brought you by accident into existence, and by accident, they're gonna take you away. But, But deep down, we know, deep down, we know that that is not true that you have meaning, you have value, you have purpose. And I would say, and I would pause, and I would say deep down, we all know this, that that purpose is found in knowing God. And that's where value comes, and that's where meaning comes from. And so the reason I share those, those doubts is, is I would say, if we're honest with ourselves, um, in the seasons of those waitings that, that maybe you're going through right now, you've wrestled with those same questions. God, I'm in a crisis right now. Where are you in this? Are you working this out for my good? Will, will the doctors ever find a cure? God, how long? How long, O oh Lord? And what we see in this passage, uh, and, and the beauty of this passage, is, is I would say one of the major takeaways we see is that Simeon's waiting was not in vain. Why was his waiting not in vain? Because of this, friends, you can take God at his word. See, God gave Simeon a promise. He gave him a promise. And when God gives you a word, God gives you a promise, you can take that to the bank. It's going to go down. It's going to happen. 
And so Simeon's waiting wasn't in vain because God stayed true to his word. So there comes, what we see in this passage is uh, there comes a day in the life of Simeon. He wakes up, maybe it was a day like every other day he wakes up. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reveals to him, say, hey, Simeon, I want you to go to the temple today. I want you to go to the temple today. So in obedience, uh, he goes to the temple and uh, he might've been anticipating. He's like, okay. God's at work. This might be, today might be the, the day I've been waiting my whole life for. So he's at the temple. He's scanning. People coming in and out. And all of a sudden, he lays his eyes upon this young, uh, probably teenage couple holding uh, an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you guys know how the story goes? And uh, they were probably uh, broke. They just traveled over 140 miles from Nazareth to, to ascend up to Jerusalem to be obedient to the law of Moses, to dedicate their baby to the Lord. So they're there, they're, they're tired. If you've had a newborn before, you know that, I mean, you get no sleep. And all of a sudden, they enter the temple and they see, you know, Simeon, this guy Simeon's kind of locked eyes with them. And at that moment, I'd say Simeon knew that this is exactly what he's waited his whole life for. I'd say in that moment, I would say Simeon threw caution to the wind. I'd like to kind of imagine what's going on. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph see this kind of crazy old guy with a little, you know, look in his eyes and he's running over to them and he grabs their child and he holds, a, holds, holds God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, incarnated in, uh, in the flesh. And he holds him up and he says, this, he's praises, he says this song of praise and prophecy over Jesus. And this is, he just busts out into the song of praise because that moment he's been waiting for came. God stayed true to his word. And this is what he says. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so, so was Simeon's waiting in vain? No, it wasn't because God stayed true to his word. And I love the response of Simeon here. There's a couple things that stick out to me. One, he says this, he says, now you are letting your servant servant depart in peace. He's finally saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm ready to face death. Simeon kind of had that confidence. And I would say there's two reasons for that. The first thing that kind of sticks out to me is, is he uh, accomplished what the Lord put him on the earth to accomplish? The Lord gave him a revelation. And I would say near the end of his life, the reason that he was able to boldly face that death is, is, is he looked back on his life with no regrets. And he said, you know what? Uh, Lord, I, 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 I did what, what you promised me to do. And the beauty of that is, uh, you know, I'd say this is, is, friends, I want to be able to look back on my life and realize that, man, like, I can look back and realize that in the midst of the doubts and the struggles, God stayed true to me and was able to use me in mighty ways. And I think Simeon realized that because what Simeon had uh, uh, was, was a mission, a purpose. And that's the beauty of knowing Christ. You have objective meaning an objective value in your life. And, and Simeon had that in his relationship with the Lord. And outside of knowing God, there is no objective meaning for your life, like we talked about before. But Simeon had that mission. And for Christians, like he was given a revelation for you and I, you know, the Lord has given us a, a, clear, a clear mission throughout scripture. Jesus Christ said the greatest commandment is this, that you love God with everything you got and you love others, that we should be known for how we love people. We should be known for that. Um, and next, what Simeon says here is I would say the reason Simeon has confidence to cross from this life to the next is that he set his eyes not on himself for salvation, but he set his eyes on Christ for salvation. This is what he says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation for all 
people. And what that salvation was for Simeon, what that salvation is for you and I, it's deliverance from our sin and its consequences. Um, and the consequences of sin, Scripture cl- clearly teaches us, is death and separation from God. Our purpose to, to be in a, a covenantal relationship with God is broken through our sin. There has to be someone who makes this right. There has to be someone who makes this right, and that's Jesus Christ. And uh, Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but I love this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what we see here in Simeon saying, I have seen your salvation in this one person made for both the Jew and the Gentile, that salvation was going to be freely offered to people of every tongue, nation, and tribe. Um, he says, this free gift of salvation for all people, people is linked to one person, is linked to one person. And the beauty of this, friends, is what Simeon doesn't say here, this scripture doesn't say here, is that salvation is linked to what all those people do to earn their salvation. He says, no, it's what this one person does on behalf, on behalf of them. And so that's the beauty of salvation for the Christian. See, I would say uh, what religion and other worldviews teach you is that, is that uh, salvation comes introspectively. Salvation comes fixing your gaze upon yourself, right? And this is, this is not what Christianity teaches. This is not what it looks like to trust Christ. But I would say what religion teaches, and I would say we all kind of wrestle with this, is I have to look inward introspectively and say, I'm a good person. I have to see if my good deeds, my good thoughts outweigh my bad deeds and my bad thoughts, and then God will love me. Then God will accept me. And then I will have assurance that I can uh, 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 be in the presence of God for all of eternity. Sorry about that. Um, And uh, what we see here in this passage is what Simeon says is, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I think it's safe to say that uh, what Simeon is saying there, there is salvation is a shift of focus, taking your eyes off of yourself and your works and fixing your gaze upon Jesus Christ and on his works, who he is and what he's done on your behalf. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that it's not up to us. The assurance of our salvation rests in the accomplished death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's simply fixing our gaze off of ourself because we can never measure up, but there's one who did and his name is Jesus and he loves you. And he loves you. And so Simeon had that swagger that all Christians should have that we know where, where we, can, we can sing that song with the Apostle Paul in first, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul says, oh death, where is your sting? Yeah. Oh death, where is your victory? Come, come what may, baby. I know what the future holds for me and it is a hope-filled future. That's the beauty of knowing Jesus. That's the hope he gives us. And so Simeon, after singing the song of praise and prophecy and celebration, that salvation has arrived, now shifts his focus to the parents. He shifts his focus to Mary, jo- Mary and Joseph. And uh, Simeon gets real. And this is what he says. Uh, verse 33. And his father and, and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot here, but I would say what Simeon is getting at here for Mary and Joseph, he's saying, yes, you have this beautiful prophecy 
this, this beautiful future promise that your son will be light for Gentiles and glory for Israel. He is salvation, and salvation is found in him. However, opposition and pain are what await your son, and opposition and pain are what await you. And so there's a lot of takeaways here, lots of implications. Um, but uh, I would say the, the one takeaway that, that I see uh, is this, is that Christian, uh, your life isn't always promised to be a bed of roses. It's not. And um, I would say that nowhere in Scripture does it promise us that we're never going to face trials and we're never going to face suffering. I mean, we're going through a series on James in the beginning of James. It says, rejoice, my brothers, not if, but when you face trials of many kinds. And Jesus says, blessed are you, not if, but when people persecute you. Um, And so it's not a matter of if, I would say, but it's a matter of when. And uh, so the question remains then, uh, when we are in those trials, when we are in those seasons of suffering, what does it look like for the believer? What does it look like for the Christian to wait well? And I think uh, there's three three things that stick out to me in uh, this passage. One, I think what it looks like to wait well is Simeon believed in the promise of God. Simeon took God at his word, and he let that shape his attitudes and actions. And so I would say this, friends, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of this season of waiting that you might find yourself in, are you resting in not just the future promise of God, but the present promise of God in your life? And I uh, I recently read Romans 8 in my quiet time, and I think it is one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. And I I hope after this talk, you'll see that the majority of Scripture are these beautiful, these amazing promises that Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf that we get to rest in, that we get to rejoice in, that we get to celebrate in. And so I'm going to do a quick walk through Romans 8, and my hope is to illustrate the promises that are, are there for us for the believer this is, this is the blood-bought promises of Jesus Christ for you and I who are in union with him. So Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in a season of, 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 of temptation and you're feeling the guilt and shame of that sin, uh, what the Bible uh, encourages you is that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all your sins past, present, and future. You are not condemned. You are fully accepted and loved in God's eyes. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise to you. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If we're suffering in this present time, uh, uh, whether it's a physical ailment or whatever, what the apostle Paul is saying here, Romans 8, 18, is that it's not even gonna be worth even comparing to the glory that is gonna be revealed to us one day. Not even, you can't even compare it. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We're not exactly sure, but I can guarantee you this. In that trial, in that difficulty, God's at work somehow, and he's working that out for your good. All things, so both the good things and the bad things. Ultimately, God is on the throne over your circumstances. And uh, lastly, Romans 8, 31 through 38, I love this. Paul, I would say in this passage, and then remember, this is just one passage of scripture. Paul, I would say, goes on a, a promise rant. And he says, he says and he just, he just lets us have it. And he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. 
Nothing can. Not that circumstance, not that trial, not that suffering, not that season of waiting. Nothing's going to separate you from that love. It's not, it's not contingent upon anything. God's promised you that. You can take that to the bank. And the next thing we see, uh, the second thing we see, is I would say that Simeon was found ready. Simeon was found ready in that season of waiting. When the time came, Simeon was right where he needed to be, right when he needed to be there. And a a definition of waiting that I found as I was studying for this uh, is this, being in readiness for service for some future appointment or event. Being in readiness for service for some future appointment or event. So a couple weeks ago, I got a text from a buddy of mine who's here and he was asking me if around 11 o'clock at night I wanted to play hockey. And uh, if I would have gotten that text, say, like 10 years ago, when I was at the height of my hockey career, if you will, I would have been, like, amped. Like, oh, I'm playing hockey tonight. It's going to be awesome. You know, like, let's go. Let's get after it because I'm in shape. I've been playing hockey. You fast forward 10 years. And I don't play as much hockey anymore because my parents used to pay for all of it when I was in high school. And now it's like really expensive. So, you know, I haven't been on the ice that much recently. So I'll be honest, I said yes. And there's kind of like a dot, 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 you know, like, hey, just whatever. And so what was funny is that I wasn't, I wasn't ready. Like that call came out of the blue. And I was nervous about that time coming because I, I wasn't preparing. I wasn't skating. I wasn't doing cardio. I hadn't been on the ice in a while. And so Simeon here in this passage, he was awaiting with eager expectation the first coming of Christ. He let that future promise shape, shape how he was going to act. And, and for us uh, believers, all throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to wait for the second coming of Christ. Uh, either he comes or he calls us home. And, and may we be found ready May we be found ready. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, uh, I believe it's 21 through 22, says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm to live in the flesh, it means I'm going to get after it. It means fruitful labor onto the Lord. Uh, May we be found ready. Simeon was. And lastly, I'll conclude with this. Simeon's waiting was worth it. Simeon's waiting was worth it. Absolutely worth it. Um, because what we see here, I'd say the major uh, takeaway is this, is that God kept his promise to Simeon. It was worth it. It was worth it for Simeon. Um, all, the, all the doubts, all the struggles, all the pain that he, that he might have gone through, in the end, God stayed true to his word. And uh, a couple summers ago, Jen and I kind of went on a baby moon and we went to uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Some of our friends that we know hooked it up big time. They're awesome. Let us crash at their crib over there. And um, so we went in the summer because we wanted to uh, just go on like a hike every single day. We're out there because we've, we've heard stories. We've seen pictures. We're like, it is beautiful out there. And after the trip, it's kind of ruined us for any hike in Virginia because I'm like, these are hills. These, you know, these are mountains. Um, but leading up to that trip, people that have been to Colorado before or live there were like, we're kind of prepping us, and they're like, hey, altitude sickness is kind of like a thing, okay? Like, like, be prepared, drink lots of water. You might want to do some cardio before you get there. And me, I was like, I'm not climbing Everest here. What are you talking about? Altitude sickness? We're just going to Colorado. Like, give me a break. And uh, so uh, we arrive. We, we get to, uh, you know, the place we're staying at in Breckenridge. And every single day, we got a bunch of hikes lined up because we're only there for a short window. And we knew a baby was coming, so we're probably never going to go back. Um, but uh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, 
And so we, our, our boots hit the ground the very next day. And um, I'll tell you what, altitude sickness is no joke. It's no joke. And uh, I mean, I was, I was feeling like I was about to have a heart attack. So Jen and I uh, up this huge hike that, you know, we researched and we had the future promise that there's going to be this beautiful lake and it's going to overlook these snow-covered mountains and it's just going to be breathtaking. It's going to be worth the hike. And so I didn't realize how much trial and pain and suffering we're going to have to go through. So we're, we're, I mean, we're barely making it. We're stopping every couple minutes to catch our breath. You know, I'm leaning up against trees. I'm recently recovering from a broken toe. So that's kind of wrapped up. And I'm wearing, I'm not wearing like hiking gear. We look like a bunch of scrubs. Uh, I'm wearing Nike Freeze. If you're familiar with those tennis shoes, it's like, it's like Nike, it's like Nike uh, sewed a sock to a sole and, uh, and sold it for $100. Um, and so I'm, I'm wearing those, and if you've traveled in Colorado before, you know that they're like jagged rocks that stick up along the path. And I swear I stubbed my toe like every three steps on those things, my, my, my healing broken toe that is now broken again. Because, uh, you know, so I'm covered in dirt, I'm tripping over this stuff, and we're huffing and puffing. But the coolest thing about this was all the people that had been to this summit would come back down. And they would see us in the midst of this period of waiting, this trial for that promise to come to fruition. And they would say three things. And Jen, like, almost everyone said this when they came down. And we're like, is this something in Colorado that like, everyone just says? This is so weird. They would say this. They would say, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And what they meant when they were communicating to us with those three words that it's worth it, they're saying, look, we see the, the trial you're in. We see the pain you're in. But trust me. Trust me, when, you, when your eyes set your, when you set your gaze upon the beauty and the wonder of that summit, the pain's going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. And this is what I'm getting at. My friends, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. On that day when the future promise is finally fulfilled and we are face to face with the beauty and wonder of our creator for all of creation, I think we will definitely know this, that our waiting was worth it. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much, God, that you are a God who stays true to your word. You are a God who fulfills his promises in the midst of our unfaithfulness. You our faithful Father. So I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's wrestling in a difficult season of life, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you comfort them today, this morning, Father? And so thank you, God, that your word teaches us that even while we were yet sinners, that in love for us, you sent your son Christ to die for us, to make this broken relationship right. And so we thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Uh, and we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.